Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. What happens to a person who goes to heaven and then comes back again? Perhaps you boldly minister under a bridge to the homeless or take on the dark of night to reach women working in the adult entertainment industry. New York Times bestselling author Crystal McVeigh talks about life after waking up in heaven. Crystal, thank you so much for talking with me today. I would imagine that you've always been a kind person. I know you've always been a kind person, but the you before the experience that led to your first book and the you after is remarkable. So I would like to just step out of the way for a second and let you tell everyone what happened. I uh, was born and raised in a small town in southwest Oklahoma. Um, I was raised by a single mom. My parents divorced when I was very young. I went through um, a tumultuous uh, teenage years, went through my 20s. I ended up um, marrying the love of my life when I was 27. By then, I was a divorced mom. I had two little kids. And although I had gone to church my whole life, I had really no relationship with God. Um, I looked at God as this entity that I should be afraid of, um, and I didn't understand Him. I had a lot of questions for Him. Going back to my childhood, from when I was molested from the age of three uh, until I was 12, and I remember being in church every Sunday. In fact, I was baptized four times uh, in three different denominations by the age of 12, um, all four times begging God to save me, because that's what I was told, that He would save me. Mm. And so when the abuse continued um, at the age of 12, I just assumed that either one, there was no God, or two, there was a God and He did not love me. Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of spiraled into my teenage years and into my 20s, um, bad choice after bad choice. When I married Virgil, he was a Christian. He was the first Christian that I'd ever dated, and his belief in God was just unshakable, where I needed proof. And still, I put on the facade. I went to church every Sunday. I was 32 years old. We had been married for five years, um, and my twins were just 10 months old. And we had just been through a horrible year uh, with them. They were born three months early. Um, The doctors had told us not to expect them to live, um, especially my son Micah. And I can remember being in that NICU, and I prayed like I've never prayed before, and Virgil prayed, and and then we both stopped at the same moment. But my conversation with God looked like this. If you take one of my children, I'll hate you for the rest of my life. And Virgil simply said, Father, your will be done. So I'm in very two different paths. Mm -hmm. He was very giving and loving where I was very selfish, and I didn't want to give my money or my time away. And so our twins pull through, and they're about 10 months old. And I had been having some breathing problems and had gone in just for a routine procedure, uh, December 8th, 2009. And I woke up from that procedure in excruciating pain. They had um, accidentally nicked my pancreas, which put me into um, pancreatitis. And so they put me into the hospital, and I was on some pretty strong pain medicine. And December 10th, uh, 2009, the doctors had told my husband, you know, go on back to work. She's you know, this is normal, and she'll be in the hospital for a few days. And I woke up that morning and asked my mom to come up and sit with me, and she drove the hour. And I can remember every moment of that day. I remember her putting lotion on my hands and my feet. I remember 
watching um, a talk show that morning, and I was in such pain. And then I remember opening my eyes and seeing her sitting at the foot of my bed. Her back was towards me. And I don't know how else to explain it except to say that I knew that I was I was dying. And I couldn't talk, which is funny because for those who know me know that I have never stopped talking <laughs> since the moment I, I was born. <laughs> and I knew that I had just a tiny bit of breath left in me. And I said, I love you. And I closed my eyes. And the way that I can describe it, Nicole, is that this peace washed over me even before I closed my eyes. I knew that I was okay. Um, and I'd always been afraid of dying, always. And I closed my eyes. And the minute I closed my eyes in that hospital room, I opened them. I woke up uh, in heaven. And what I knew right away was that I was still me. I was still the same me that had just died in that hospital room, had just lived this life on earth, but I was also the me that had existed from the moment he created me. And I was in the most perfect version of myself. All negativity was gone. Only his light and his love and his beauty remained. And I, I just can't even describe in human words what that felt like. And immediately I, I recognized two angels standing um, in front of me and to the left. And um, I described them as, you know, when you look at a light bulb, you can see the silhouette, but, you know, it's just light radiating off. And that's what they looked like to me. Yet I could look directly at them. I knew who they were. I did not know them on this earth, but I was so excited to be back with them. Mm. And, you know, that kind of caused me some confusion when I came back as a human, but I knew that they had always been with me and they were my very, very best friends, that they had always watched over me. And um, we began to talk uh, with no words. It was as if you and I could pick up the phone and, or just look at each other and we could download 10 years in a second. Mm -hmm. Every detail, every word we've uttered, every feeling we've had, I mean, communication was just that amazing. And, and then I became aware that there was um, another presence. And I turned to my right to face this um, shimmering, beautiful light. Because what I was in, I describe as a, as a tunnel, but it had really no, no, no beginning, no ending. It didn't have any, I mean, we had sides, but like the sides of the tunnel just went on for eternity. And it was the most brilliant white that I could ever describe. In fact, our colors here are so muted and dismal compared to the colors that I, that I experienced. Hmm. And so this beautiful golden shimmery light uh, was to my right. And as I turned to face it, and I had no questions while I was there. That was the other thing. Um, I tell people, you think I'm a know-it-all now, but at one point in my existence, <laughs> I really did know it all. <laughs> there was no question. And I turned, I turned to face him, and immediately I knew I was in the presence of God. Um, and I intertwine him with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I know that, that I try not to confuse people, mm -hmm. but uh, if I say Jesus or if I say God, I'm talking about the same entity. Mm -hmm. And when I turned to face him, I went down to my knees, and then I went straight down to my face. And I was raised Baptist and Methodist, and so we didn't worship 
like that. But I was in such awe and love of this God. And I didn't meet him, Nicole. I recognized him Mm. because I knew that he uh, was my creator. And I remember putting my hands up and crying and just praising him. And I did have one question. And, you know, growing up, especially with the abuse that I went through on my second marriage, he, you know, had, uh, he was very abusive. I was a drug addict. And um, I always thought if God was real, I do have a question for him. I want to know what kind of God are you? Why would you let these kind of things happen to people? Mm -hmm. I prayed, I begged you to help me. And where were you? And so as I'm laying there worshiping in front of him, I raised my hands and I said, why didn't I do more for you? Because in that moment, all questions had been answered. I knew that he loved me. In fact, I remember, I remember saying like that he's, he's not just loving. He is love and his love tangibly wrapped around me to the point that I couldn't get off my face. I was in such awe of him. And I can remember laying in front of him and just worshiping. And the whole time he's talking to me uh, the same way that the angels did with just no words. And I looked down the tunnel and I could see that at the, at the end, it became very, very bright. And again, I didn't have really any questions. Um, the only question I asked him, why didn't I do more for you was more of a reflection of how I had spent my time, like, oh, darn, I wish I would have. Mm -hmm. Now I know, you know, I wish I would have done more. Mm -hmm. But I remember looking and I remember seeing the end and I knew that that was the entrance into heaven. I knew that that was the gate. And he said, once we get there, you can't come back. And in that moment, he showed me my four children. I was prepared to walk into eternity. And as we got closer to the gate, um, I heard my mom cry, and I knew what was happening. I knew that I had just died. I knew I don't remember seeing the room, but I, I knew what was going on. But my heart, you know, I felt for her, and I stopped, and I said, she doesn't know. She doesn't know that I'm okay. And I said, can I just tell her I'm okay? And he said, the choice is up to you. And when I turned around to go and find where her voice was coming from, he said, tell them what you can remember. And I remember calling back to him kind of over my shoulder. I said, I'll remember everything and I'll be right back. Mm. And then I looked at the floor of this um, place that I was in and it was like I was looking through a, a transparent sea, like a, a, a sea of shimmering diamonds. Um, it was just the most beautiful thing. And the minute that he said, tell them what you can remember, and I called back to him. Um, I was back in my body. And I opened my eyes, and they were performing CPR. And it took me a minute to remember how to talk because I had just come from a realm that I didn't need words. <laughs> and the first thing I said when I could finally remember how to form words is I said, I'm with God. And I tried to go back, and here I am. Uh, eight years later, obviously, I wasn't allowed. But life has drastically changed. You tell that story pl- plus so, so, so much more about your childhood and your life. And and um, in the New York Times bestselling book you wrote called Waking Up in Heaven. Um, but I wonder, 
you know, you healed, you left the hospital. Did you immediately run home and decide, I got to write, I got to write a book and I have to launch a speaking tour to go tell everyone? Or was this something that you had to sit with? I just, I'm concerned, I'm, I'm curious about what people's reactions were to you. Sure. Well, I was so excited um, to be able to share with people this realization, like he's real, he's real. And I was very surprised at the reaction, um, very mixed reactions. Um, It wasn't very long before I noticed that like some eyes would roll. And this is church. This is with my group of Christian friends or eyes would roll or somebody said, you know, you talk about that all the time. And <laughs> I can remember just laying in bed crying one night and I told Virgil, I was like, I, it's not the president of the United States. Like I'm talking about God. Mm-hmm. And I realized that some people just did not, they thought I was crazy or that I was lying. And that rejection has always been a huge trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And so here I was dealing with this mourning for the because I wanted to be with him. I was actually very angry when I came back, you know, and I would tell my husband, he, he would come into the critical care unit and I'd just be laying there, you know, and I said, I didn't choose this. I chose him, you know, and I was angry that he sent me back. Um, and then I, I quit talking. I quit sharing because of the reaction that, uh, that I had. And, but I knew, I knew I held on to those words that God said to me, which was, tell them what you can remember. And about three and a half years later, I was introduced to uh, my friend Alex, and Alex had worked for People Magazine and had written several books, and we were introduced in a very God-like fashion. You know, only God could um, orchestrate that. And a year later, we had a book, and we I was all over the place, you know, telling this story. And um and that was hard, you know, and I, I write about in my second book, um, Chasing Heaven, about the time that I had to go on um, Fox and Friends. And, you know, here I am. I mean, I'm overweight, and, you know, that's something I've struggled with. And, and I'm trying to tell this story that I, I know is going to have a mixed reaction. I mean, we've been invited to speak at churches and uninvited to come to churches. So mm. um, I, I really wasn't fully accepted within my Christian community and not fully accepted outside of it. And so it was just a a lot harder of a journey than I expected. And so I go on Fox and Friends and I get, as soon as the segment was over, all of these emails and um, messages start popping up, making fun of my weight, calling me names. And, and I remember just being so humiliated, Nicole, and I went to the bathroom in New York city and I sat in the bathroom and I just cried. Mm -hmm. And I said, why did you make me do this? why? And he just said, let's pray for them. And, you know, and I, and I'd never, God had talked to me my whole life. I just hadn't recognized it. Mm -hmm. And so being the wonderful Christian, you know, that I had become after meeting him, I said, no, I'm not (laughs) praying for them. How could you make people like this? You know, they're so, they're awful. And and he just, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than he just held me. And he showed me a vision of Jesus stepping in front of me. And Jesus turned and he looked at me and he said, it's not you that they are denying. It's me. Hmm. And I said, okay. You know, he said, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me. And ever since that moment, nothing anybody has said has ever hurt me. Um, In fact, I giggle, you know, I giggle. um, 
I don't know if, if you saw that I posted, you know, the segment that Bill Maher had, and there's a screenshot of my book on his show, and it says, Six Degrees of Heaven Faken, <laughs> which made me giggle because I love a good pun, you know, and that's a pun on Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yep. And people say, you know, or did that make you angry? And I'd say, well, no. I mean, what does he have to go on to believe me? Right. That is a hard thing to believe. Why would I be angry at him for not knowing or being a doubter when that's who I was for 32 years? Mm-hmm. And, um, but the journey that God has led us on. And so once I got over the anger and once I submitted to whatever his will was, um, the journey began. And it has been an amazing, heartbreakingly beautiful journey. And he, you know, he had a stage for me, but it, probably not the stage that you would you would think you know he his stage for for me is is usually under a bridge with our homeless community um working with the women that are that i work with with my ministry that are entrapped or um, actively working in the sex industry mm-hmm. um just definitely not the stage that i think most would assume yeah you went from from being a skeptic to someone who's really fighting to set others free. Did you feel like, especially, you know, you in Chasing Heaven, you talk about how you go in the middle of the night and you bring little treats of kindness to these women who are working in the adult entertainment industry. And it's really, it it's perplexing to me. I just don't understand, <laughs> A, where well, you I get the bravery understand. to do it. I didn't understand either. And, you know, I live in a little tiny town. And so, when God had put on my heart, you know, that that was a ministry that I was going to get involved in, you know, we don't have those clubs here. And, and I had no, and scared, you know, scared yeah. to walk into that situation. Um, and I ended up finding a ministry a couple hours away from me that were doing the very same thing. And I was so lucky to get to mentor under them, Heidi, who was uh, the director. She is was one of the, is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And, you know, they just took me in under their wing and, and I hit the ground running and that's exactly what it is. They, they service 22 clubs in the city and they go in with love gifts and hug the women and, and, um, and there's no strings attached. Um, I did that for two and a half years with them. And then God said, you're going to start one closer to home. And so my girlfriend, Amber, and I, who also shares, she shares her her story in Waking Up in Heaven also, Amber and I had been, God had been speaking to us the same thing. And so we started um, a a ministry very similar to that, about an hour from where we live. And we, this month, we are celebrating two years. Um, It is amazing, the beauty that I had gotten to witness. Um, in the midst of what some would look at as such darkness. It's amazing the beauty that resides. Kindness seems to be the entryway for you to speak to these women, because I would imagine you coming onto their turf, interrupting their profession, whether they want to be there or they think they want to be there or they don't want to be there. Um, You're interrupting what they do to make a good living. So how does kindness play a role in what you do? When we showed up the first month with our gifts, um, there's no smiles. They're very, what do, you, what do you want? What is this for? Are you selling this? I'm like, no, we're just giving them to you. We love you. 
and they just they, they don't understand. And what is in these care um, packages? It varies. I think the first month we took decorated flip-flops. Um, one month we do nail polishes. We really rely on um, people in our community to help us fund uh, these projects. We take food treats um, for the doormen, for the bouncers, for the bartenders. You know, everybody is loved. And our main our main drive is uh, for the women. Um my eyes were opened when when I came back from heaven um, to a world that I know God is very much a part of, but I also know that we have a very real enemy. And that was another part that I talked about in the book, Nicole, that some some Christians had a problem you know, with or um, maybe not believing. But, you know, when I look in His Word, Nicole, He very clearly, Jesus very clearly tells us that, that we have an, an adversary. Mm-hmm. And that his job is to kill, steal, and destroy. And when I go into these kind of places um, to see the plans that the enemy has for families, you know, those men that are in those clubs, the women that we're ministering with, I'm no different than than they are. I've just been introduced to the truth a little bit sooner, maybe. Um I've met women that have been trafficked. I have heard horrendous stories of um, the the sex trafficking industry that, you know, we think is so far away from us, but it's right in our backyards. Mm -hmm. And the stories that have been revealed have just broken my heart. Um, I have watched babies not be aborted because of the ministry uh, like Door, the one that The ministry that I run is called Door, Daughters of Royalty. And I have watched women be set free. But when we choose to love, it is the same kind of love that Christ gives us, and it is a very unconditional love. And just like it took me 32 years to accept that he, there was no strings attached for his love, it's the same thing for these women. And so it took us eight months of showing up every month, not being allowed in the door before they finally welcomed us in. And now we go in and we are greeted with hugs and kisses and they want to tell us about their kids and about their lives and because they know that our, we're not there to preach or to judge. We're there to walk with them, mm-hmm. whatever that journey might look like. So there are people who might say, I think, that these are adult women and they're choosing to to perform for a paying audience. And what's the harm in that? Why do we have to go and, and, and free them? Maybe they don't want to be freed. Maybe there's nothing sure. to be free from. What's your reaction to that, Crystal? I wish I had all the statistics in front of me right now, but I want to say that um, 63% of women that work in the adult um, entertainment industry uh, had been sexually assaulted by the age of 18. It's around 50% deal with substance abuse problems. Um, there's another astronomical percent of how many came from broken homes, abusive marriages. And yes, I'll, I'll have somebody that goes, well, you know, I knew a girl in college and she worked her way through medical school. She's an exception. Mm-hmm. And even she, I bet if you got to know her a little bit, there was something that wasn't quite healed. Because if we truly looked at ourselves, 
the way that God looks at us, it wouldn't even be a question. And see, and I, I sold myself for 32 years. I just did it in different ways because I had no value. And when you feel as if you have no worth, you act as if you have no worth. And so I understand. I understand why they're there. I understand how, how alluring it could be, the money, the attention. And, you know, when we pray over the men, I'll have to find the study, but there was a study done that showed that the largest number of men that view pornography are within the church. Mm. They're within within the Christian community. Um, pornography and the sex industry, there are something that very few talk about, but without um, without a demand, then there would be no need. Um, you look into um, organizations like Christine Kane has with the A21 campaign and how they're freeing these girls that are, are being sex trafficked. It is an epidemic. Mm-hmm. To, to be called to step into that was very scary. But to see the beauty that arises from it all just changes me. Yeah. And, it, and our goal is not, you know, people say, well, how many girls have you gotten out? Um, zero. But how many girls know that we love them, know that God loves them? You know, every, oh, I hope every single one that meets us. It's about forming relationships mm-hmm. with nothing being expected in return. I think many people, all, all people, in fact, have wrestled with some sort of shame or guilt, um, the same one you're talking about, the same one you felt um, yourself. How can kindness play a role in, in getting out of that shame and guilt and, and shedding that? I think, you know, it all goes back. Here I am. God, you know, put me back into the classroom. I'm uh, teaching third grade again. And when we go over our rules at the beginning of the year, we always talk about our number one rule, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Mm. And it never fails. Somebody will say, that's the golden rule. And I say, yep, you're right. And I don't teach in a Christian school. But it comes down to that, that we are in this together. We are all in this together. And we don't have to do anything alone. And I think about if I would have had that one person that would have just loved me, um, that I, you know, that I could have opened up to, maybe things would have been different, but I just know how broken I was and I know what some of these girls are feeling. And so, I mean, he loved me so much, me. And you think about who I was, I was an adulterer. You know, I had fallen in love with a married man in my early 20s. I was a sinner in every aspect of the, the word. I was a murderer. I mean, I took a life of an unborn child when I was 19 years old. And yet he loved me. How can I not love other people that he's created? Mm-hmm. Good words. We are all more alike than we think we are, right? I agree. Thanks, Crystal, so much for sharing your story with us and and really how kindness has played a role in um, coming back from heaven. Well, thank you for having me. And I just want to say, you know, in this beautiful journey that God's led me on, you are one of the people I get to call a friend because of this experience. And um, you inspire me every day. 
with your kindness and and your um, uplifting words. So you keep doing that too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that coming from you. And I am, I am honored to call you friend. Thanks, Crystal. Crystal McVeigh is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Waking Up in Heaven, and the follow-up story, Chasing Heaven. To learn more, go to crystalmcveigh.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or NPR One.